Oh, wait, what's, what's this? Uh, XH2S camera of the year? <laughs> Us? Never. <laughs> we, we would never say such a thing. Oh, huh. I've, I've watched quite a few and read quite a few, you know, what's the best photo camera? What's the best hybrid? What's the best video? Blah, 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 blah. And uh, I mean, I'm probably not exaggerating here, but over 100% of the things that I read and looked at, so the XH2S was the best camera oh, yeah. Over mm-hmm. 100%. Over 100%. Man, yeah. I don't know how anybody could beat those numbers. Exactly. Uh, so I was, I mean, I was pretty excited. You know, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, on the train or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You're, the... you're solidly on that bandwagon. Yep. Exactly. Why did they say that the XH2S was the camera of the year? I mean, like. Is, it, is this where your logic falls apart? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, like for me. <laughs> I didn't say for you. I said, why did they say it was the camera of the year? I know. It seems like for most people, when looking at the X-H2S, it's it's kind of the whole package when it comes to, you know, if you're looking for something that can do video and can do photos and does both equally well. And if you're looking for one camera to handle everything that you're doing, and it's hard to beat it at that price point. I mean, 2500 bucks, it is a really good price. And like, I don't know. I it seems like in the past you would have had to pick between a good photo camera and a good video camera at that price and it's doing both pretty well. The other thing is the specification that they hit. That whole 14-bit readout thing. So no one else is doing it. Right? For the cameras that you were looking at that have really good dynamic range are using dual gain output sensors, which is really cool and I've been wondering, can you get like a dual gain output stacked sensor? Oh man. Cuz watch out world. But the whole like, you know, reading 14 bit off the sensor instead of 12 bit or 10 bit to get your, you know, your footage and all your range and everything. I mean, most camera companies don't publish that information. They don't really feed it back. Most of them are just reading back at 10 bit or 12 bit. Yep. And the whole, you know, 14 bit readout in video is pretty incredible. Yeah. And it seems like Fuji is kind of the only one that's doing that right now, except for, you know, high incentive cameras. Yeah. I wonder when somebody else is going to catch up. Uh, well, I mean, I guess we'll see. Right? Yeah. Yeah. 2023. It's a new year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely the most confusing thing because obviously like all these cameras are pulling, you know, 16 bit, 14 bit for their raw files, but that's photo. Mm-hmm. And then you like, if you look at a camera like the R6 Mark II, they can shoot, you know, 14 bit raw in its photo mode. It's burst rate in photo is still only, you know, 20 frames per second electronic. Yeah, so it's not fast enough yeah. to do video that way. It's just That's not fast enough to shoot video, and which is even why that uh, the XH2S caps out at 30 frames per second for mm-hmm. its 14-bit readout, and you drop down to the, to the 12-bit after, you know, after 30. But still, I think it's, I think it's really impressive. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's a cool. great camera. I've cool. been loving it. Yeah, it's cool what they're doing. Camera of the year. Can- camera of the year, yeah, 2022. <laughs> uh, no, no one disagrees. No one, not yep, a single not person. Not a single person. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back to talk more about the gear side of photo and video. All right. Uh, going going along the lines of also, you know, things things to update on from, from past episodes. Would, would we call this follow-up? Uh, I... I I don't know if we can legally call it follow-up. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah, we don't want Mike Hurley suing us. Yeah, that'd be a real big problem. Yeah. So I wiped my computer, totally, completely reinstalled. I was Mac thinking OS. it had a lot of fingerprints on it, so I'm glad you finally did that. Yeah, that, that it was very hard to see the screen in the sun. But yeah. uh, I did finally you know, completely wipe my computer and reinstall everything, and uh, it seems like I fixed my problem. Okay. So if so anyone was wondering out there, 
if you're having a root underscore kernel underscore root <laughs> RAM problem where it's eating up 30 gigs of RAM, then maybe just uh, completely reinstall your operating system. Now, did you try exporting the same project in Final Cut? Yeah, still broken. Okay, so it didn't solve that. Didn't solve that problem, but it solved my other problem. And I've almost finished editing another video that has a lot of XH2S, you know, 10-bit 422 footage. And that's working just fine. Cool. So no problems there. Cool. Though I am using proxies, which feeds into my next bit of uh, not follow-up. Next bit of not follow-up. Yep. And that's learning resolve, basically. Yeah. We and talked so, about that a little a few weeks ago where you said you were going to start trying to learn it because of all these problems that you mm-hmm. had. Yep. And so I've, I've, I've dove, dove in. Do, dove in. in. Dove in. Yep. Dove in through. That's in the show. Yep. Dove in. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot. And there's a few things I kind of wanted to you know chat about as far as, you know, working resolve and, and getting used to that, that software. Okay. Well, let's hear it. And one is uh, I'm learning about like ACES or uh, yeah, ACES workflows mm-hmm. and, you know, dealing with color matching footage and color space transforms. And something that I haven't done before when color matching footage that I thought was pretty interesting was taking everything that I, that we shot and then bringing it into a common color space and then having all of those pieces of footage after being matched and corrected, exported with the same LUT or color space transform on the back end. So and, what do you mean when you say the same color space? Because when I think about it, I think about everything going to Rec. 709. Where, so what's the difference? Well, so like whenever you shoot, like the reason you shoot in log uh, versus, you know, just standard Rec. 709 is that you get a wider color gamut mm-hmm. and that um, F like F log two and F log one conform to a Rec. 2020 color space, okay. which is has more color. Like if you look at a color gamma chart and you look at the triangle, the Rec. 709 triangle is going to be this little bit of thing. Then the, you know, the BT 2020, the Rec. 2021 is going to be much bigger. And then even bigger than that or is like the ACES standard. Okay. And it, you know, DCIP3 is somewhere in there as well. And so it's like different ranges of like how many different shades of blue do you have and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So... I mean, you, you people shoot in log because you get more information. And even though you're going to deliver to Rec. 709, you still want to be able to like grade in between. And uh, it's easier to color match everything and then have one final export if you're kind of working in the same color space for all of your clips. Okay. And for something like what we, this Big Ben project that we shot that I've been working on footage through is like all the iPhone stuff is Rec. 709. Same for the Cobra footage and the DJI footage. But all the Fuji footage is in F-Log 2, which is Rec 2020, according to their documentation. Okay. And so if it was like a Hollywood project, we would probably convert everything into ACES, which is a, they have a lot of different ones, but it's a whole different you know color gamut space that you convert everything into. And then everyone's working off the same thing. That's not really something you need to do if it's just you. But what I did is I took all of the iPhone footage and all the GoPro and all the drone stuff, and I converted it into Rec 2020. So to, it's this, to match the Fuji stuff. Mm-hmm, so it's the same color space. And then I was able to, whenever, you know, done with the correction at the end of it to get it to a deliverable format, I just applied the F-Log1 LUT to it. And that totally worked. And so it's like I took my iPhone footage, converted it to BT2020, and then put a F-Log to Eternal LUT on it. <laughs> and then it looks like XT3 footage. Interesting. Yeah. And so that pretty well matches to my XH2S footage and it made the whole matching it a lot easier. Cause I've done yeah. projects before where mm-hmm. I was trying to match iPhone footage to F log or F log two. 
And it's kind of a nightmare because iPhone footage is really, really saturated. Yeah. Because you have to like pull it back by like, you know, 40% and all this stuff. So doing that whole workflow and like moving between color spaces and working on a common one has made all the matching of footage a lot easier. And it's not something I've done before. Yeah. I mean, I've never even heard of that idea. I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen that anywhere. Yeah, I mean, everyone really, like, everyone talks about, you know, you have your, wherever your footage and you're going to do all your, you know, Luma and your white balance and all that grading first. And then after that grading function, you do your color space transform to get it into Rec. 709 or you do a LUT conversion to get it into Rec. 709. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you do all of your fancy pants stuff where you're going to change your color look and add your grain and your relation and make it look all bespoke. And so it's the, kind of the same thing, but there's that beginning step of, you know, let's all get into the same color space. So yeah. matching's easier. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I was, I was pretty happy with that workflow. It's definitely something I'm going to do again. What I did find out is that there is no option for converting F log two into ACES. There's no like gamma profile for mm-hmm. F log two. You think it It'll, just doesn't exist yet? I guess so. It's just not built into DaVinci Resolve yet. And like, there's an F-Log 1, but there's not an F-Log 2 1. And you can go onto Fuji's site and you can look up all the gamma chart stuff to build your own. Mm. But I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was yeah. wondering, like, is there like a lot out there or something that you can use to do it? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I'm sure there's a way to, way to do it and I just haven't learned that yet. But yeah, I know. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, so. yeah that is pretty cool. The other thing that uh, is new to Resolve that I was using is the use of proxies. And so up until I think they added proxy use in 17 and then they built in the conversion ability in 18. Okay. And so that, that was kind of a cool feature to be able to use. You, I mean, I'm familiar with, you know, you make your own proxies and then you link those in, but not being able, but being able to like in the software, select all these clips and hit make proxies and then just makes them for you. And then you can move them around and distribute them to people. That whole workflow has gotten really easy and resolved. And nice. It, I mean, it made it made this edit super easy. Yeah. I was I mean, able to light what, up those files. What always confused me about proxies was how to go back. Like if you edit with the proxies, then like how do you export with the full right. with the full file? Does it make that easier too? Yeah. I mean, the process for me is I have all the full res files over here on this drive. And then in my project settings in Resolve, I set the destination for the proxies to a certain location on my internal hard drive. And I hit make proxies. And then I went into the playback settings and I said, you know, prefer proxies. And then I just disconnected my drive. And so it uses those proxies for whenever I'm editing. And then when I plug in the drive, when I'm done, I can hit, you know, use original media or don't use proxies in the in the settings. And then just uses the original media. Oh, okay. That's really easy. Yeah, it's really easy and straightforward. And I know that's definitely something I'm going to do later. And I think it's worth underlining, like, the difference between proxies and optimized media. Where, like, optimized media, you're doing it because your footage is really heavy and you need something that's easier to work with. Those files you can't like move around. If you generate optimized media and resolve, it lives in the resolve project folder. It's going to take up a ton of space on your drive. So then you have like your original files and your optimized media. Mm. And it's just kind of, I don't know, it just, it takes up more space. It's easier to use, but they're just, they're bigger codecs. So then on the other hand, what's the proxy? The proxies are going to be smaller files. They specifically like the options for what you can convert your files into in resolve or for things that are going to be smaller file sizes. And so it gives you the opportunity of like 
making files that can be easily distributed, shared mm-hmm. through, you know, online services like Dropbox or Drive. And then you can have all your big original files over here for final delivery. What makes them smaller? Is it a different uh, bit rate or is it a smaller Dif- resolution? They have um, a ProRes proxy codec, which is going to be, you know, less bit rate, whatever. And then uh, usually it's a resolution change. Okay. And so I pulled everything down from 4K into 720. So it was a quarter resolution. Sure. But I mean, it dropped my file sizes by like an eighth. So yeah. pr- pretty helpful. And like for, for this project where we have six or 700 gigs of footage mm. and you then on top of that, you know, you're going to be building out render, render files in your library. That's easily going to push over a terabyte. And it's really hard to, you know, work on that unless you have, you know, one to one and a half terabytes of free space on your yeah. computer. And then it's like the only project you can be working on at that time. And there's a lot of issues with that. Yep. And I never really got into proxies with Final Cut. I know you can do it, but I can never figure out like well, how do I generate those? And then how do I link them? And it just seemed all really confusing. And for this, I mean, man, it couldn't be easier. That's good to hear. Yeah. Did you do proxies for all of the files or just some? Yeah, actually, I I copied copied everything that wasn't an XH2 file because all those were reasonably sized. I copied those to my computer. And then I had a separate folder that was the XH2 stuff, XH2S. And so I only made proxies of the XH2S stuff. Okay. So I was working on a mix of local files and proxies. Oh, and it can handle that somehow. Yeah, and that was totally fine. So cool. it's just a matter of like which files are linked. Yeah, it works works really well. And it's a it's a workflow that I'm definitely going to be using going forward. Huh. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Sounds like Resolve's going pretty well for you then. Yeah, I definitely like it a lot. It's been weird to get used to. And there's some things that I kind of miss from Final Cut, but mm-hmm. the things that I get as a result of switching, like Fairlight and all the color management stuff, it's definitely been worth the, worth the switch. Nice. So overall, so far, easier or harder than you expected to switch? Um, I, mean, I, think, I think it's about in line. It hasn't been, it hasn't been that hard at all. Like really, it's just, you know, learning a lot of the little things here and there, like track yeah. selectors and that sort of stuff. Cool. So, I mean, it's, if someone was asking me like what, what software to get into as far as learning, learning, editing and that sort of thing, I would probably recommend Resolve to them now over anything else. Well, I mean, what, it's hard to argue with it being free, you know, if you don't, yeah, if you exactly. don't need the pro features, like mm-hmm. that's a great way to start. Yeah. And you can really dive in. And then even on top of this two licenses, like a lifetime quote unquote license that's $300. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I guess we don't know like long term. Will yeah. they will they ever release an update that requires more pay? Maybe, but they may. You can you can never you can never say what's going to happen. I mean, you know, whenever Premiere was switched to you know Creative Cloud subscription model at one yeah. point, I was, everyone's still complaining about that, and it was geez, ten years ago. Yeah. So yeah, but it is a reasonable price, and it seems like Resolve is really adding major new features that we release. I mean, yeah. like you said, proxies just came out recently. Yeah, so. it's a pretty big deal feature. I think like all the editing stuff is really still a lot of it's catching up. I think mm. you go back to like version 15 or 16 and it wasn't maybe the most usable editing platform, but they have been the standard for color grading yeah. uh, for, geez, 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they were they were the deal before computers were the deal for color grading. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny how things change, you know, like a few years ago, it felt like Final Cut was easily the right choice. And now it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's, we'll see how long, uh, how long we stay on Resolve, but I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying it so far. Cool. Yeah. I haven't had much time to mess with it yet, but I'm looking forward to getting into it more and learning some of this stuff and learning from your mistakes. Yeah. So. I'm, exci- I'm excited to see how that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully soon. Uh, we talked about Capture One. Uh, recently on one of the episodes and after we talked about it they switched to a subscription model. i saw that i saw that it's like you know that was and that was what we were saying was like maybe mm-hmm. this is the right choice because it's not a subscription model like lightroom and then yeah. here they are it's like if you don't need the library functions and you only want to spend one nope not anymore 
Yeah. So, um, but we also talked about there is still that free version for Fuji cameras or free version for Sony cameras. Have you had a chance to try it out? I have not. I, I don't know if I am or not. I mean, I understand the appeal, but I don't know. I mean, Lightroom works so good and I just, I just don't know if I want to take the time to try it out. I get it. it. I get it. Okay. A few more questions I have for you. You're using iCloud photo library for your phone photo stuff. It all backs up. It's Mm -hmm. in your photo library. Sometimes you take pictures for like personal stuff, whatever. Those pictures that you take with your non-iPhone camera, do those go into your photo library? No, they don't. Not right now. They probably need to. But so but like, I, like, like I said, until fairly recently, like most of the pictures that I've taken have not been stuff that I wanted to save. So, but for like the pictures that you took in December, where are those going to go? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they probably, I probably need to just consolidate everything to iCloud photo library. That's, that's the most reasonable sense. thing for me to do. You're, you're already there. Um, right now I've got some of those on Google photos, uh, because that was an easy way to share it with other people. Mm-hmm. But I don't yet have like a workflow or a system or whatever, so I need to need to get going on that. Oh boy, this is gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a great journey to follow you along. <laughs> okay, so the other thing that kind of question that I had whenever you whenever you bring things into Lightroom, you edit them and then you export your edits. Yes. Do you save the edits and the originals? Yeah, I do. Yeah, because I have all the originals and then I have a folder with the edits, and okay. so I have both. Interesting. Yeah. I can really go in and clean out a lot of photos because all the originals I don't really need, you know, like they're, they're pictures of products and stuff and there's not stuff I really care about. But at the time that I'm doing it, I don't want to delete them because sometimes I go and edit like five pictures or something. And then we start looking at using them, like when we're going to put them on the website or whatever. And we realize like, oh, we actually wanted one more picture of this. And a lot of times, like I actually have that picture and just didn't edit it. And so like, I don't want them to be gone as soon as I do it. But then that means that I don't like there's no step where I'm going back, you know, and like looking at old stuff to delete it. So I need something like that. Oh, boy. Your your whole photo situation is gives me nightmares. <laughs> hey, man, it works. Gets the job done. Take a lot of pictures and make use out of them. It's great. All right. So talking talking about the pictures that you take, you got a new camera. So, yeah, I did get a new camera recently or at least new to me. Uh, so I got a Fuji X-T30. But Daniel, that camera came out um, like four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that was four years ago. I was going to say, no, it wasn't. It was 2019, but that was four years ago. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I got it on Facebook Marketplace. It's the first time I bought a camera on there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a new experience for me, but I got an incredible deal on it. And when I saw it posted, it was just too good of a deal to pass up. So I had to go for it. Nice. And it worked out. It's worked out pretty well so far. You know, I mean, the transaction went smoothly. The guy was really nice and, you know, didn't have any trouble with that. Um, Walk me through a little bit the reasoning for this specific camera. I mean, you're buying a whatever three to four year old Fuji camera. Uh, you sold your USR. You're going to sell your GH5. Mm-hmm. Um, bought the XH2S. What's I mean, what's the point? Why are you, why are you getting yeah, this camera? So, so like you said, I switched to Fuji back in July of last year and I've been and I've been using it almost exclusively since then. And so I've gotten to where I like Fuji and I want to invest more in Fuji lenses than other lenses. So kind of wanted to get away from some of the other systems. So that's why I wanted to start getting away from the GH5. Yeah, it can kind of be a pain to have a lot of different lens types that you're dealing with and trying to mm-hmm. adapt them and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it just, it, you know, you, you you get to the point where you think, I want to spend $500 on a lens, but which camera do I buy it for? And like, it's just a pain if you're having to make that choice. So it's better to just have one system. $500 on a lens. Yeah. Please. Yeah. 
I mean, this is Fuji we're talking about. You can get good lenses for that. Uh, that is true. So that was that was part of it. it was just been using Fuji more. Kind of want to invest in the same system. But the other big thing was we talked on here. Uh, I don't know how many episodes ago, a number of episodes ago, about the idea of having a travel camera, and that's something that's always appealed to me. And I think about going on trips and wanting to be able to take a camera with me and make more memories, take more pictures. But I just have a really hard time bringing myself to carry my twenty-five hundred dollar camera around when I'm just casually on vacation. And not just that, but the XH2S, as great as it is, is a really big camera. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel especially portable. It doesn't feel unobtrusive. And so I just found myself not ever taking it places. And this is something that I've struggled with since I've been into photography. Like with the EOS R is the same way. It's this, you know, big camera with full frame glass. And I just it was just too much work to take it mm-hmm. on things. So I would take all my pictures with my phone. And I just kind of at the point where I want to start taking pictures that'll last longer and things that right. are still going to hold up in 10 years. And as good as phones are, if you start pixel peeping, they just don't look very good. You no, know? they don't. And like, you can't really, like you can print some phone photos and this sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, at least in my opinion, cameras still look better. Yep, I agree. And so I wanted a smaller camera and, you know, you can spend ridiculous amounts of money and get really good, really compact cameras. I mean, everybody right now is into the Leica Q2 there's one that I wasn't aware of until just recently. I'm not sure how this one flew under my radar. The Zeiss ZX1. It runs Android. It's full frame, <laughs> 24 megapixels, and it has Lightroom built in. So what? you can upload your photos to Lightroom Cloud off of the internal 500 gigabyte hard drive. Well, we're going to have to dig into that a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. Costs $4,000. Of course. Yeah. It so has a fixed 35 millimeter F2 lens. All of these things are really, really expensive. And I just, it, for me, it defeats the purpose of having a travel camera if it's four to $6,000. Right, exactly. I'm not going to feel good about carrying that around at the beach. No, not so much. And so this is something that I think that Fuji actually does really well because the X-T30 is a really compact camera. It's a lot smaller than the X-H2S. Well, I've been shooting with an X-T3 for years, and I was surprised at how much smaller the X-T30 was. Yeah. I mean, I've heard uh, Omar on YouTube, you know, talk about how he prefers to shoot on an X-T30 or an X-T20 mm-hmm. over, you know, the X-T3, 4, whatever, because of the size, the, the compactness and taking pictures with his family and just having something with him. And I was like, hey, it can't be that much smaller. It's it, a lot smaller. It's like shockingly smaller. Yeah. Yeah. But what Fuji does so well is that even though it's a lot smaller than the X-T3, it more or less has the same internals. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. So, like, you get the same sensor, I think the same processor, and, I mean, some of the video specs are a little bit uh, nerfed compared to the X-T3 just because of heat reasons. Yeah, so, exactly. The only thing you lose out on is is things that are physical, physical limitations to it being smaller, heat yeah. dissipation. So, it has more record limits, like 20, min- 20 minutes in 4K. I think it can shoot. 10-bit internal, but... Only... No, it can't shoot internal, but you can shoot it external. Okay, cool, yeah. So, so, so you've got some limitations based on things right. like that, but if you're just taking a photo and you're not trying to do like a, you know, a, a burst or whatever, like all of that, it is effectively as good of a camera as the X-T3. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, because it's tiny. It's not that expensive. I mean, I bought mine used for 500 bucks. Yep. And it takes really good pictures. You get all the same film simulations. Like you, you have a very capable camera that's very compact. And so I think that's something that Fuji does really well. And it kind of, to me, makes Fuji feel like the poor man's Leica. Yeah. And then you bought a lens to go with it um, to kind of com- 
complete that setup as far mm-hmm. as something small. Because like you can have a tiny camera, but if you put a fifty for one forty on it, it's just not going to work. Yeah, out. Yeah, or, or the the Pinocchio lens, the seventeen to seventy. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the, the eighty huge. millimeter macro, which is longer after you put a Cineblum filter on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I ended up getting the Fuji twenty seven millimeter f two pancake lens. Yeah, which is a really cool lens. It's incredibly compact. Um, doesn't stick out of the camera very far at all. And with that lens on the camera, I can actually put it in a pocket. That is perfect. Yeah. And that was that was kind of what I was going for. Pancake lenses have uh, trade-offs. So this one is f2.8. It would have been nice to have f1.4, f2, something like that. But I kind of looked at it and thought, if this is actually small enough that I can fit it into my pocket, then that is worth it to me You know, to give up a little bit on the lens side. And it turns out it is. And so I can take it to like a party or something like that mm-hmm. and I can slip it into my back pocket and it's right there if I need it, but it's not something I'm having to carry around in my hand the whole time. And so, so far that's working out really, really nicely and it's a good lens. I mean, it's weather sealed. Image quality seems very good. Auto focuses quickly. I don't, I don't really have any complaints about it. I know it's not as good as like a 2314 or sure. something like that, but, but it's it, great lens. it covers what you need. Mm-hmm. Have you had any issues with that 2.8? f-stop not really i mean again i i bought it as a travel camera or as an event thing you know just for for casual like making memories yeah and so i'm honestly okay cranking the iso if i need to yeah sure it's it's not mission critical i mean if i was getting paid to shoot an event then i'm not going to use an f28 lens i'm gonna get something faster than that but um for what i wanted it's more than enough and mostly i do have enough light i haven't really had trouble with that I'm looking at some spec comparisons here, and it seems like the X-T30 with the 27 millimeter lens isn't really that much different as far as size than an X-100V. And you can't even buy an X-100V. You, you can. They're they're hard to get, um, but they're not quite as hard to get as like the, mm-hmm. the websites would make you think. It is pretty similar in size to that. It's not as good of a setup as the X100V. Right. Yeah, that, that one has a faster lens on it, right? It's like 35 or 30 millimeter. No, it's 23 millimeter it's right? 20, F2. Yeah, 23 F2. But even if you put a 23 F2 on the like on the X-T30, the X100V is a little bit better because the lens is closer to the sensor. Right. It's going to be sharper. That, mm-hmm. that um, what do you call it? That flange distance yeah. is really critical to sharpness. That's mm-hmm. why the R-mount lenses are such a big deal. Yeah, because they can get it that much closer. Yeah, so the the X100V is Fuji's like premium point and shoot camera. Mm-hmm. It has a cult following. It got popular on Instagram and TikTok. Yep, and so it has it. a cult following now. And like you said, it's very hard to find. And I mean, that's that's kind of what I was looking for. And the the setup that I made is sort of like a interchangeable lens version of that. But well, for me, it gives you the option of shooting with it as a B cam, though. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing a doing one of your videos and you need a B shot. It's going to be relatively easy to color match the footage. If you run it out to a Ninja, you can get 10-bit video, yep. and it basically covers everything that you need yep. to pair off against the X-H2S if yep. you have to. Yep, and that was why I went with the X-T30 over the X-100V, is because right. that way like, I can swap out the lens if I need to. You know, Or even if I'm going on a trip and I know, you know, hey, on this one day, we're going to be you know, going to whatever place where there's birds. And so I'm going to want the telephoto. Like I could bring another lens if I wanted to. So that's, that's kind of why I did that, but it does work as a B camera too. And that's for me, that's great. Cause that means I can sell the GH five. I can have only Fuji stuff. And then, like you said, the, the footage is going to match the X-H2S and that's a huge win. You know, the, the cameras have the same interface. It's a little bit easier to work with. Mm -hmm. So talk, talk to me a little bit about using it. I mean, you, there was at least one trip where you brought it with you. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, how how is it going? Like, you have it in your pocket. You've done taking pictures with it. Do you like the photos? Have you been shooting only JPEG? What film simulations do you like? Like, what's what do you like about the camera? Yeah, I mean, so far it's been great. The main thing I've liked is just having a camera with me. I mean, I mm-hmm. like taking pictures, um, but you know, it just hasn't ever been worth it to me in the past. And so now that it's easy, it's just it's fun. Like, it gives me a new way to to enjoy situations. I like it sometimes in social gatherings because like it gives me something to do with my hands. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, makes sense. Gives me a gives me a job to do, but it's been great. I mean, I like the pictures that I've taken with it. At at least one of the things I took it to, I you know put some of the pictures together afterward. Didn't edit them. I just used the JPEGs and then threw them into an album and shared them with all the people that went. And so it was That's like, nice. you know, it's pretty cool. Like two hours after something happens, to be like, hey, here's some pictures, you know, and like people mm-hmm. can enjoy them and stuff. Yeah, people and, like that. Yeah. I have been shooting in RAW plus JPEG, okay. mostly because I don't trust myself yet to know what film simulation I want to use. Right. And so shooting in RAW, at least I have the ability to go and do that later. And, or you can use the in-camera RAW conversion and then just switch the film simulation. I forget that you can do that. Yeah. I need you to need pick to it on the fly. That. Yeah. Export them. You yeah. Can, I mean, like the in-camera RAW conversion, you can do basically everything you do before you take the picture. You can, whenever you're setting up like your custom modes and all this stuff in your Fuji camera, you can choose like your height, like do you want to boost your highlights, boost your shadows, drop them down, mm-hmm. add some grain, change the film simulation, change the color chroma. And like, there's a lot of different things you can change, noise reduction, blah, blah, blah. So in your raw file, you can reset all of that stuff yeah. and then export it again to a different JPEG. I, I forget that you could do all that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I knew you could change that many settings. Yeah. So it's pretty it's, cool. It's really neat. Yeah. So, and I mean, for that reason, it's kind of worth shooting the raw, even if you're just going to throw them in, throw them away later. Mm-hmm. That's, what that, that's what I picture happening. Honestly, it's like shooting raw plus JPEG because I mean, card space is cheap, right? So right, like, there's no exactly. reason not to. But then at, at the point that I process those pictures into the computer, at that point with this camera, with what I plan to do with this camera, I'm just going to decide, you know, am I happy with these? Keep the JPEG so the raw's out. Like yep. my goal for this is generally to not be editing pictures right have you been shooting when uh compressed raw or lossless compressed raw? uh i think compressed sorry lossless compressed or uncompressed oh definitely not uncompressed okay yeah yeah the uncompressed you can preview on a mac but the lossless compressed it won't let you preview them. i see well i have the jpegs so yeah i just yeah pro tip now i know and in terms of the film simulations i'm still kind of playing with them still kind of learning what i like Mm -hmm. i like astia a lot yeah, that I think one's that good. one's worked out well in the situations I've been in. But I mean, it seems like it just depends on what you're taking pictures of. Yep, I find if I want something that's a, like a little contrasty and has a little more punch to it than Provia, I'll pick Astia. And so I like that for situations where there's people, but I don't want um, the skin tones to be too oversaturated. Yeah. Like, I, like I never shoot in Velvia. Man, I I like saturation. And mm-hmm. so, like, I want to shoot in Velvia, but I can't bring myself yeah. to shoot in Velvia. I mean, it's shoot, just so saturated. Like, shoot in Astia and bump the color by one or two. Yeah. I'd like to do that. I like to do that with Classic Chrome as well. I like to do Classic Chrome with a one or two bump on the mm-hmm. color. And that, that usually look pretty good. Um, yeah. Classic Chrome can be a little too contrasting. And so, sometimes I, I boost the shadows a little bit on that, too. At the risk of going full Fuji cast on this, mm-hmm. the film simulation stuff is really cool for this type of camera yep. because I feel like, you know, the point of what I was trying to do is like, I want to have something that's 
fun to take pictures with on trips and having the film simulations. It's like if you kind of put yourself in that mindset of like, I am taking this picture and I want it to look this way and I'm not going to put it in Lightroom and spend a long time editing it. The film simulations kind of give you like a fun thing that you can mess with without making you like commit to doing all, yeah. all that editing. That's definitely the fun part of it. And there's a lot of things you can work with. And there's a lot of groups out there who have their own like recipes and you can set those to the custom profiles. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And if you use the in raw conversion stuff, then you can like take your picture, change it how you want it. And then just like Bluetooth it to your phone. And yeah. there you go. Yeah. I think it's a cool workflow. I think that like that, aspect of Fuji cameras makes makes it a good choice for this type of travel camera. And you see people on the internet talking about it like that too. They're like, yeah. I love taking I love my Fuji camera, but when I do real work, I do it on Canon. Like oh, it's, it's exactly that kind of thing, you know. It pushes my buttons so bad. There's a certain YouTuber, I won't name names, who's like, I love shooting on Fuji for non-professional work, but if mm-hmm. I'm shooting professional, it has to be full frame because yeah. full frame's the only professional way to do things. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm a professional and that's what professionals do. Yep, exactly. Yep. Get get out of here. You and your full frame. I do want to mention, uh, I guess, one or two things about the camera that I don't like. And these are kind of just things I think that are pitfalls of using a cheaper camera. One for me is the size. So as much as the size is critical for how I want to use the camera, I can't relate to what you were saying. I don't know who you said it was, but somebody said that they prefer those smaller cameras. That was Omar. Oh, Gonzalo. Uh, I'm not gonna get his name wrong. It's just Omar. Well, I disagree with YouTube. Omar because Daniel. as as much as I like being able to fit the camera in my pocket, if I have a choice, I just find the XH2S to be so much more comfortable to hold, and it's more ergonomic. I can grip it more easily. I, like I just I prefer all of that so much over the uh, over the smaller XT30. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a totally different grip situation. I mean you're talking like forward grip with the with the button on the front part versus on the top and like mm-hmm. versus you know range style it is yeah, to- yeah totally different situation and i'm used to those larger cameras you know gh5 eos r those were bigger body cameras too and i'm just used to that and so like i, I like the way that feels better if you consider getting one of those bespoke l mount grips that extends the uh the grip size maybe one that has some uh, tasteful wood <laughs> i just don't I, I don't know if i can go that far and oh that's that's too Fuji for me. All right, fine. Uh, I'll have to get you one yeah. for your birthday. And then you'll be like, I actually mm-hmm. love this and I hate you for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, perfect. <laughs> the other the other thing that I don't like is the EVF and the LCD just are not as good. Yeah, definitely. That, that is a that's a point of cost savings for, yeah, for that camera yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm used to that from the older cameras we had uh, before you and I got, you know, really into photography like EVFs were just awful. I think we were both really surprised when we actually used a good EVF. Yeah. Like, no oh, kidding. this can look good. Uh, but the LCD is really where I noticed it most because, you know, even if you don't chimp, when you take a picture, you know, eventually you're going to go back through your pictures on your camera. And when I first got the camera and started taking pictures, I looked at them on the screen and was like kind of underwhelmed, you know, it's like, man, I don't, this camera doesn't really take that great of pictures. doesn't look that good. And then I got them on the computer and that was what I was expecting. You know, it's like, oh, this, this does look really good. And so you just kind of have to train yourself on that and know you, you, you have to force yourself to not delete pictures from the screen unless they're, you know, totally blurry and out of focus because the screen is not a good representation of what the picture actually looks like. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. And I was watching a lot of YouTube as I normally do. And, um, Manny YouTuber was going through, you know, Oh, you know, 
Sony, Cameron, Canon, blah, 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 the things I like about each of those systems. And one of his big points was that the screens on the back of the Canons, they make the Canon pictures look really good. Yeah. It's kind of like the whole iPhone or, or Samsung thing where you take a picture on an iPhone. The best place that's going to look is on an iPhone yep. screen. And it's like Canons figure that out. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you're, if you're taking pictures and you want to show, flip the camera and like show the person you're to the you took a picture of like here's this great yeah. picture you want it to look really good and his point was like sony just hasn't figured that out the screens on the back of those cameras aren't super good and and it's I mean, not it's it's, something you're seeing here it's not even just if you're showing somebody else like i think that it, it's kind of a feedback loop for you too oh for sure you know if you take a picture and then you look at it on the camera and that picture looks really good it kind of like pumps you up you know mm-hmm. and you want to like well let me get another shot like this looks really good Whereas if it doesn't look that good, it starts to kind of like bring you down. You yeah. Know, and- so I think that the solution here, Fuji has actually already solved in the X-Pro3. And you just leave that back folded up where you can't uh-huh. see the screen. And you just don't look at the picture until too much you take them me. off the camera. This is too much for me. You just, I, I can't you, handle you that. You shoot it and then you just don't know until you quote unquote develop it. I can't handle that. That's 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 too Fuji for me. I, <laughs> Peak Fuji. We've gone too far. <laughs> All right. I mean, I think I think we've covered it. Yeah, let's, I think so. Let's too. dive into the next thing. All right. What do we got? Uh, I want to talk about camera rumors for 2023. Oh, man. Now that's a clickbait article or a clickbait title that's going to get us some listens. <laughs> oh, boy. Watch out. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think we basically just run through this by brand and kind of hit some of the big things that we think might be happening. Okay. And then, you know, keep it tight. So, oh. Sony. What's Sony going to do in 2023? They've come out with a lot of cool cameras. They did, you know, they did the A7 IV and then worked through that line, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm so confused by like, they have the A7 IV, but then they have the a, A7R5, but then they have the A7S III. And yeah, so like they just, oh, they, these numbers don't line up. They're always out of sync with their numbers, but they haven't released a new APS-C camera barring the FX30, which doesn't count, since, geez, like three years ago. It was pre, pre-COVID. pre It was like 2019 when they came out with the x Whatever the geez X, this is this a Fuji cast? <laughs> uh, the A sixty four hundred. Maybe that was twenty eighteen. Yeah, A sixty four hundred came out in twenty eighteen. It's Man, been so long. It's been a long time since APS season. Yeah, <laughs> this this has to be the year. I don't know if they're going to come out with like they're going to call it like the A seven thousand series, or maybe it's like A six thousand Mark two or or what. But I feel like they have to if they're going to keep making APS stuff like. It's time to refresh that line. Yeah. I mean, Sony makes the sensors, right? And what they did with the sensor that's in the XH2S, I mean, sure, it's X-Trans and all this stuff, and they're not going to put it in an A-whatever. But they clearly have the technology to make a very good APS-C yep. sensor. And I like high-end premium APS-C cameras, but the problem with those is, is always price point. Like, yeah. when you're full-frame stuff, like, if you can go out and buy a Canon EOS R6 Mark II for 2600 bucks. That is a really, really good camera for that price point. Mm. And so any like super high-end APS-C thing has to come in under that. And so, I mean, I don't know if they'll do it, but like coming out with something that's dual gain or something that's stacked that has like a fast processor and can get those really low rolling shutter readouts and take advantage of the speed that you get out of APS-C, it could be really cool. And so I kind of want to see them do that. I want to see them look at what Fuji did with XH2S and be like, hold my beer and then come out with an A7000 camera. Well, and I mean, think lower end too. Like, you know, what do they have that competes with the R10? What do they have that competes with something like the Fuji X-T30? I mean, it's hard to recommend that somebody buy a cam, a new camera from 2018 right now. That is a really, really good point. Because when it comes to lens ecosystem, 
I think I think emount's the way to, place to be right now. There's third party lens support for days. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really really great G Master lenses on the high end, but also some solid Sigma lenses on the low end. Mm-hmm. Even like those Art Primes or even the right. Anyways, whatever. Great lenses. Where do you go if your budget like you're just getting into photography? And I've had two people ask me this question. They're like, "Hey Lucas, I'm getting into photography. Like thousand dollars. What do I buy?" Yeah. And I was like, I mean, I would love to see them get into Sony, even though the menu systems are garbage. Like probably not true anymore, but get into Sony. But like, what do they do? They Any of the A6000 series is four years old. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can buy an A6000 for, I don't know, four or $500 now used. But that camera came out in 2015. Yeah, you probably shouldn't buy that at like, this point. It's it's fine if you're just getting into it and you're looking for something cheap and that's great. But I mean, the A7C is two or three years old at this mm-hmm. point, And it's, there isn't a low-end camera friend. Their cheapest modern camera is $2,500. I, I It seems overdue and it's honestly kind of weird that they haven't released something mm-hmm. in that line yet so maybe this is the year yeah so that's that's what i would like to see from phony from phony fuji <laughs> cast <laughs> <laughs> oh geez this is going really well what i'd like to see from sony is an APS-C camera maybe like a budget level and a high-end level and then maybe like a new ace like an a7c2 or whatever you know, something, yeah, something that's cheap, full frame. Yeah, that would be really cool. Well, I think it's it's a guarantee they will release new stuff this year. So yep. it's a question of what. And then maybe you know they they kind of don't release everything and instead spend some time on the software and start putting out all of the software features to all the cameras, like the uh, focus breathing, yeah, compensation. I, that's I know that's a thing that a lot of people would like to see. Yeah, it would be pretty great. Yep. So that's, I mean, that's Sony. Let's talk about um, both uh, yours and I's uh, favorite camera company, Nikon. Of course. Um, you know, Premiere. Nikon going to be coming out with some new used lenses that I can find at Precision Camera later. <laughs> yep, 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 probably. Yeah. Like, the Z9 is amazing, but the the Z6 and the Z7 are both two years old. And, I mean, I think it's time for, for you know, new updates. I think that, you know, the, the Z50 is a really great getting into camera option, but it's it's kind of getting long in the tooth and it would be mm-hmm. nice to see, you know, a Z50 Mark II. And it would it was really cool with what they did with the um, the ZFC, you know. That, that's the one that's kind of hipster looking. Yeah, it looks a lot like a Fuji camera, yeah. so mm-hmm. I don't wonder I liked it. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking this year we're looking at a Z6 Mark II and a Z7 Mark II. Yeah, there already is a Z7 Mark II, isn't there? Crap, every time. <laughs> It's actually three for both of them. It's like, <laughs> geez, uh, Z6 Mark III and uh, Z7 Mark III. <laughs> well, that one guy at the Ren Fair is going to be really excited about yeah, that. Yeah, he's going to he's gonna just sell his camera and upgrade Day so Day one fast. upgrade, mm-hmm. for sure. There's a rumor of a Z8. And the the thoughts on the Z. I mean, okay, that's not a big that's not a big leap, right? They're like, well, there's a Z6, and there's a Z7, and there's a Z9. But, well, but there's, there's been a, a Z8. There's been a Z6 and a Z7 for... Uh, like four years. So, I mean. I mean, we just found out about him two weeks ago. It's true. But, we but. just found out about him. <laughs> uh, but the rumor is the Z8 is going to be basically an A7R5 wrapped up in a Nikon body. That, that sounds like something a Nikon person would say. Well, but, but like, that's the whole thing, right? Is Nikon buys the Sony sensors and then they, they put Nikon yeah. on them. Okay. And they do like their Nikon magic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. But Z8 may be coming as well. Okay. I'm a little dubious. I think that's just going to be the, the Z7 Mark III. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So real cool. You know, Nikon needs, Nikon needs new cameras. They do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, apparent, apparently all their stuff's been out for two years. So Yeah. Which, like, you don't always have to be releasing cameras all the time. But, I mean, it's it's pretty solidly, you know, Canon, Sony, and then way down here, Nikon. Yeah. 
and then down below them, Fuji. But, you know, regardless, I think that I think they're not going to make up some ground and yeah. come out with some cool stuff. I mean, their cameras are spec competitive for sure. And they so they if they want to keep that up, they do have to release new cameras. And if past history is any indication, these new ones will be really competitive. So we'll I mean, see. the Z9 is a very good camera. Like it's absolutely competitive with um, the A1 and the R3. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Speaking of R3, talking about Canon, they have to come out with some cheap APS-C lenses. You think so? They have to. I mean, that's like... I guess they did come out with those lower-end APS-C cameras, right. and so you need lenses for Like, them. say you're going to go out and buy an R10. I mean, it's 700 bucks new. Great camera to get into, right? If you're getting into whatever mm-hmm. R-mount, you're getting into Canon, I would happily recommend that to somebody, but I can't because there's no lenses to buy for it. I'm not going to go tell them, now go buy an EF adapter <laughs> and then go find a 24 to 105 for $600. That's what you'd have to and, tell them. Yeah, exactly. That's what you would have to tell them. You'd have to like buy this adapter and buy this thing and now you mm-hmm. spend $800 on this lens adapter combo and it's not even native mount and blah, 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 blah because there isn't another option. They have to go buy RF class because Canon has let Sigma and Tamron yep. make lenses and, for their mount. And with a couple of exceptions, RF glass is very expensive. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, we, we, we've covered this before, but they're essentially going to spend somewhere between twelve hundred and four thousand dollars on their one lens yeah. for their eight hundred dollar camera, and it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and so it just it feels like like Canon has to do it, and then more on the low end for Canon, like the M fifty is their most sold camera, and like people are still buying them like crazy, which is funny because like I could not recommend that camera to somebody. No, but like you can buy. Like, I wouldn't either, right? The M mount is dead. Mm-hmm. Don't buy an EF M because, like, you're just going to be adapting glass. It's, it's, ter- it's a terrible option. But if your budget is $600, you can buy a, an M50 with a 14 to 40 millimeter lens on it. And if you never buy another lens, that's a great compact sure. little Canon. Yeah. It's basically replaced what the Rebel was, Yeah, but mirrorless. Mm-hmm. And they need an RF version of that. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I mean, Sony's just really killing it right now, with, even though, as you said, they need to update their low end lineup. Their low-end cameras use the same lenses as their high-end cameras, and they have those both low-end and high-end lens options, and Canon needs to compete on that lower end. Yeah, and especially if they're not going to let Sigma do it for them, mm-hmm. which is the other option. They could just let Sigma release um, their their set of primes for yeah. APS-C, which are very good, the 16, the 35, and mm-hmm. the uh, 56. That's what they need to do, honestly. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know why they wouldn't. Sigma will sell you all three of those for like $1,100, and they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. And if Canon was just like, yeah, sure, you can make those for RF mount, then I would say, yeah, go buy an R10. That camera's amazing. Grab these Sigma lenses. And then, I mean, out the door, less than $2,000, and you have three lenses and a really, really good camera. Yeah. That seems like the the path of least resistance. I don't know why they're so resistant to yep. doing that. I mean, they just want to own it, right? I mean, they need those those that lens lock-in. So. Yeah. Yeah. If they're not going to let someone else do it, they need to do it. Um, also, on Canon here on my list, I got... Um, potentially a new R5 Mark II. Okay. And there's been a lot of rumors rolling around about a uh, a 100 megapixel full frame camera coming out of Canon. Interesting. Which would 100 be 100 megapixel. Nuts. Well, I mean like they're not using Sony sensors. So like they're the only one out there who's who's doing something That's true. something of their own. And I mean if they could do that, that's competitive with like Fuji GFX medium format. They're not they're not usually the one that's spec leading. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. Like if full frame can hit that 100 megapixel mark, that's going to take a lot of a lot from the GFX line because I mean, medium format's just, it's a lot. And it's big lenses and it's expensive. Yep. And I mean, if you can get a full frame camera that can resolve to 100, that's a big deal. 
Yeah. So I don't know if that's actually going to happen. I mean, that might be still another year or two down the road, but they haven't released an R1. They have not replaced the 1DX. And I mean, they came out with the R3 and the R3 is really good. There's still not an R1. Yeah, that that's conspicuous, isn't it? It kind of yeah. makes you wonder what's uh, what are they waiting on? Why are they holding that number back? Yeah, so I'm real curious what that nine thousand dollar, ten thousand dollar <laughs> Canon R1 is going to look like. Yeah, yeah. Well, 100 megapixels would be pretty interesting. You'd sure probably would. need you'd probably need a new lens to be able to resolve it. Maybe, but those those RF lenses are incredible. I would be surprised if you know, the existing set of you know red ring RF lenses, L series, yeah. I guess, uh, couldn't do it. I mean, we'll we'll have to see. But, yeah, that'd be interesting. And then, uh, man, there's a, there's a lot of Canon rumors for this year. There's like we're looking at maybe an R7C. So they did came out with the R5C, and so rolling down the line, you know, these cinema hybrid type cameras. You know, add a fan, add the movie still switch across the power button, mm-hmm. <clears throat> roll out false color into the video features. An R7C could be really cool. It'd be kind of a FX30 competitor. Yeah, it sure would. It'd be a Super 35 and. I mean, it'd be, it'd be pretty neat. There are a lot of people that really like Canon cinema cameras. Yeah. You see do. those people using like the C200, C300, stuff like that. And even the C70 has been really popular. And you have to imagine that if you had something that was affordable for the average person, that there would be people buying it as a B camera or buying it as an entry level into Canon's cinema lineup. The C70 sensor is a dual gain output sensor, and it is particularly incredible. And that it has more dynamic range than an XH2S. And it's like easily, you know, top 10 cameras available as Mm -hmm. far as dynamic range. I mean, it competes with some red cameras as far as its capabilities. It's the only thing that's using that dual gain sensor. There's actually a rumor that the new C200 Mark II that could come out this year is going to use the same Super 35 dual gain sensor out of the C70. Interesting. Yeah. Those Canon cinema cameras, it's hard, you know, it's hard to know how much of it is marketing and placebo effect, but people talk about those cameras just having like a look. Yeah. And they sure do. and even though the specs are not particularly impressive, like even like the old C100 and stuff, you know, specs aren't very good, but people always just say those cameras just have a really good look that you can't get with other stuff. I don't know what kind of RF mount like cinema lenses you can buy or if it's all still EF and you have to adapt it. Or if you can like convert it over to PL, I, I, prob- sure I probably need to look into that. But yeah. I mean, if I was trying to get into Canon and I wanted, you know, uh, like a $10,000 budget and I was looking for a cinema grade type camera, the C70 would be it. That is, it's a, it's an incredible yeah. camera. Very yeah. versatile. Yeah, $5,500 or something like that. And yeah. I mean, it seems like a great choice. Yeah. So uh, C100 Mark, C200 Mark II could be really cool. There's also a rumor of a C700 coming out okay. with an interchangeable sensor. <laughs> <laughs> what would that let you do? I don't know. Well, there's, it's like you might be able to swap between, um, geez, I don't even know. It's like, you know, full frame 8K or, you know, super 35 yeah. with a global shutter is yeah, what people or, are talking or, about. You know, like like a stacked sensor versus a, a super high resolution mm-hmm. full frame. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it's I guess it's, it's global shutter in that, you know, you have that perfect image sure. between the two. So that's. We'll see. It, that could be really cool. You know, the yeah. cinema cameras from uh, Canon are really neat. Imagine how expensive cool it would be to buy oh, a separate uh, sensor. For buy a new system. sensor to swap out. Yeah. Oh, golly. <laughs> be so expensive. No, thank you. Man. So, I mean, that's, there's more, but like that's mostly the Canon stuff. Okay. And I think, I think the cheap RF glass is what I want to see the most out of them. Yeah. Because then I would be inclined to recommend an R- R10 to a few people. Yeah, I agree. Right now I'm kind of like, 
why would I tell somebody to buy that camera? But mm-hmm. if they had cheap lens options, then it suddenly becomes interesting. Yeah, I mean, it would be a great upgrade path, right? I mean, it, I guess it would be a pain to have to sell your APS-C size glass for RF. But, <clears throat> I mean, if you could start with the R10 and then move into an R6 type thing. Mm-hmm. Or if they, maybe they release that middle camera that doesn't exist yeah. to replace the EOS R, that'd be cool. Yeah, so. yeah. A lot of, lot of possibilities there. Yep. All right, let's talk about um, the premier camera company, Fuji. <laughs> this is where, you know, three quarters of the audience tunes out. <laughs> All right, so now that we're half at the halfway point of our episode, <laughs> <laughs> let me get into the real talk. This is what you've been building up to the whole time. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. What I really want to see this year, X-Pro4 and something to replace the X-T30. All right, I want I want you to justify to me why you want to see an X Pro Four. Because the X Pro Three was amazing, and everyone loves it. And they have this super 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 sweet forty megapixel APS-C sensor that is obviously competitive and sometimes better than full frame sensors of equivalent resolution. Everyone agrees, X Trans for for life. And I think that putting that forty megapixel sensor into something like an X Pro Three. Which for people who like like street photography and like just being engaged with taking photos and messing with the dials, I mean, I would be perfect. There's a lot of people that love the X Pro, and I mean, it's it's a match made in heaven. You don't even get a screen. You you can flip it like if you really want to look at your photos, you can flip it open and see the see the pictures. Yeah. Do you, do you think that you feel like you're giving up if you do that? You think? There's a little screen on the back that shows you what film simulation you you're using. It's stylized like the actual film box. <laughs> And like when you change the ISO, it changes the thing. It's perfect. I'm, and I, I want that. I, with... I can't do it. <laughs> if they come out with that, are you going to buy one? No, I'm not going to buy one. Uh-huh. But if they, came, I if they came out with an X-T40 or an X-T50, which was similar size to, you know, the X-T30 lines, real real small and compact, cheap, you know, price point, say 1000 bucks or 1200 right around where those, you know, X-T-XX cameras were, mm-hmm. I think that would be really appealing to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to agree because... The X-T5 looks really good, and they sort of went back to, like, the roots of photography mm-hmm, with the X-T5 mm-hmm. in, in ways that are appealing. But, you know, like, with you having an X-H2S that has good video chops, you don't really need, like, a super high-end camera for that second camera. And so having something that is compact but still has, like, a 40-megapixel sensor, I mean, that'd be great. And we're assuming 40 megapixels because that's been Fuji's MO for the last ever is that they have their sensor and processor pair. And there's no way they're going to put the stack sensor in something, you know, low end. It's got to be this 40 megapixel sensor. And I, I just feel like that's what they're going to do. They're going to take the processor and the sensor that's in the X-H2S. Sorry, the X-H2. And the X-T5. And the X-T5. And they're going to stick it in an X-Pro4 and an X-T whatever, hopefully. There's no reason to think they wouldn't do that because that is what they've done with all of their past generations of cameras. Or even an XS. 10 or it would be an XS20 or whatever, yeah. uh, replacing that line and then for, mm. for all those PSAM bros. Yeah, all those PSAM bros. Yeah. So we'll see. That's that's kind of what I would like to see out of Fuji this year, you know, kind of finishing out the line with that 40 megapixel sensor. Mm. Uh, it would be some real compelling cameras or even a, um, so I guess it's like X100F for five and no, V for five, F for four. Yeah. So for six, maybe it's an S or an X. I think they already did S for the did number S. two. So yeah. I'm going to call it X100X. And that's going to have the 40 megapixel sensor, in, and that would probably be my pick. Yeah, with something with a little that 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh man, yeah. that'd be perfect. 
well, you know, those X100Vs are so hard to find. Maybe they're going to have to release a new camera. Man, just, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. it. Done. And then just real quick, uh, the only thing that's on the lens roadmap right now is the XF 8mm 3.5. So that's probably the only lens we're really going to see from them this year. I would love to see a new wide angle zoom, something like an 11 to 20 2.8 mm-hmm. from Tamron this year. Because uh, they, ha- they make that lens. I think it would be great if they brought that to XF. Other than that, yeah, that's Fuji. Cool. Uh, we could talk about Panasonic, but I think we're going to have a big Panasonic episode kind of coming down the line. Yeah. Cause, Cause really, they have an event coming up. Yeah. they have an event right around the corner. It's looking like maybe S5 Mark II or something, or maybe an S5H or whatever. So that's going to be really neat. I'm looking forward to talking about that one. I don't think it's worth cool. us getting into now. Yeah. Once they have that event, we'll talk about it yeah. and we can go from there. Yeah. But the S1H has been out for a really long time, and that camera is great as far as shooting video. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically like a cinema camera in a, in mm-hmm. a, in a hybrid-style body. I mean, we've both used an S1H for, for shooting. It's yep. a really good camera. Yeah. I think what Panasonic does better than anyone else is giving you, like, actual pro-level video features without forcing you to buy a pro camera. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, the L-mount line has been building out from Leica and from Sigma and, and Panasonic. And I think that an, we're primed for an, a new S1H this year yeah. or an S1H Mark II or whatever. And that's that's not really what's potentially rumored to come out, you know, beginning of January, but it would be a, it'd be a pretty cool to see that this year. Yeah, it seems possible. I mean, they, they do update their cameras, you know, like on a reasonable cadence. Yep. So I don't see why they wouldn't. And I, I think that one uh, may, based upon like the rumor, whatever the, the announcement, Maybe we're going to see space detect autofocus from Panasonic. I kind of think we might. I mean, the the announcement text said something like a new phase. What if they... How could they use the word phase without... Oh, man. They're just just teasing us. What if they swooped in and then all of a sudden the autofocus is like canon level? (laughs) Or like better. Yeah. (laughs) There's like, oh, yeah, you guys have been complaining about autofocus for a while. Here's autofocus. That would be major news because yeah. I feel like everybody says that's the only shortcoming to Panasonic mm-hmm. cameras. People would be switching to Panasonic in droves. Yeah. They'd all be jumping ship from Fuji and going mm-hmm. to Panasonic. Selling all their all their E-mount whatevers and throwing their Sonys in the trash. Mm-hmm. Everyone would switch to Panasonic. Yeah. I mean, they already have the flippy, tilty screen that's in the uh, A7R5. So. Yeah. They're halfway there. Yeah. Not even losing anything. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So that's... uh. It's going to be great. This is a year of Panasonic. A year of Panasonic. Yep. Just wait. Uh, I mean, I think think that's basically it. There's a few things that we're looking at maybe coming out from DJI, but uh, I don't know if Pentax is going to come out with another DSLR. (laughs) I think Pentax might be lower lower off my radar than Nikon is. (laughs) Oh, no. I don't believe it. All right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's basically it. I got some things on the not camera list here. I don't know if you want to run through those or not, but... Uh, I think it's going to be a really good year for cameras. This last year was amazing with all the Fuji stuff, but I think we're going to see a lot of cool things from Canon this year and um, hopefully some APS-C stuff from Sony and yeah. maybe Nikon all of a sudden has cameras again. I mean, it feels like, it feels like the stage is set, right? Like all yep. all this stuff came out last year that is really promising. Like like Canon came out with those lower end APS-C cameras. We saw, you know, the Fuji stuff with the 40 megapixel sensor and the 26 megapixel stacked sensor. And so like it kind of shows you where sensor technology is going and all this stuff seems like it's coming together. And there's just a couple of gaps that we're noticing that haven't been filled in yet. And I don't feel like anything we talked about today is like outlandish or like impossible to happen. Yeah. I totally- Maybe that one interchangeable C700 sensor thing. I'm not sure about that, but most of the stuff feels like pretty obvious bets, so 
I mean, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I totally agree. And like with the new processors in these cameras and the stuff that we talk about later this year, I mean, we're looking at full frame stuff that's doing 422 10-bit internal yeah. um, stack sensors that are doing raw internal. And I mean, there's only like three real major cameras out that are doing stack sensor right now. And so we're still, you know, maybe not this year, maybe year after we're going to be seeing more stack sensors start work their way down the line, mm-hmm. which is going to really, you know, open up a lot of possibilities. And we haven't seen a lot of movement on the dual gain. I mean, there's, you know, the FX lines can do it, the um, the C70, but, you know, mostly like cinema type video things. But it'd be cool to start seeing more dual gain stuff yeah. as well. I think there's a lot to look forward to this year, and I'm looking forward to seeing all the stuff come out, coming out and talking about it. Yep. Woot woot. All right. Anything else? I think we've just about covered it. Cool. That's going to do it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed it, we'd encourage you to rate us on iTunes and tell your photography friends about the show. Also, check out our website at cameragearpodcast.com to learn more or send us feedback and questions. We'll be back with more next week.